0: I, I try to remember every time. <laughs> in fact, uh, Pastor mentioned uh, my first time in, it was actually 26 years ago, if I'm remembering right. It was 1996 at the uh, camp up there... Uh, Where was that? Enniskillen, yes. And so, wow, a lot lot of water under the bridge these years, but good to be back now. And, uh, you know, back uh, when everything went, uh, when the world went crazy, (laughs) uh, there about uh, March of 2020, um, I wondered if I'd ever get back over here. You know, I didn't know, you know. And so uh, it is a special joy to be back. It really is uh, to Ireland, but uh, to LifeGate. And a lot of precious memories here. And uh, enjoyed the time on the Zoom meeting back in January. How many of you were a part of the Zoom meeting uh, back there? All right, a few of you. Good, yeah, a number of you were. Uh, And so uh, good... uh uh, to be here now, even when we, uh, when Pastor said, well, why don't you come back in April? Because I was headed into Spain at the end of this week anyway. And I thought, well, okay, so I booked the tickets not knowing if, you know, if this would pan out or not. But here we are. And uh, actually, good flight over, got more sleep than normal coming over. That's <laughs> that's a good thing, you know. And so, uh, at any rate, Genesis 35, in the Word of God this morning, Genesis chapter 35 in your Bibles. I was reading last night an uh, interesting book called Standing in the Fire. Uh, just as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing in the fire and Jesus was standing there with them. It's about uh, uh, the persecuted believers in our world today and the Islamic world and very recent uh, things from the last uh, just 10 years of things that are happening there. But this author made a great statement. He said, you know, we think that the world is spiraling out of control, that it's spiraling out of place, we especially since that the last two years. But he said it's actually falling into place. That's well said. You know, God's not taken by surprise by anything that's going on in our world right now, and there's a lot going on. Whether it's the Ukraine or whether it's what's going on in Myanmar, that's a country that gets forgotten right now. Uh, but the slaughter of people over there right now is just—it's is, uncanny, and uh, the number of people that. Uh, uh, have uh, suffered because of the civil war that's over there. Uh, we've lost 150 preachers alone to COVID because they were not able to go to hospitals because of the civil war. Uh, that was in uh, 2020. There's a lot going on in our world, but God's not taken by surprise by any of this. And God knows you, and He knows you by name. And He loves you with a perfect love. And He has infinite wisdom for your life, yours. And he has inexhaustible power to carry out his wisdom that's born out of love for you. And so in line of that, we're going to look at Genesis 35 in the Word of God this morning. Genesis 35. And I do hope that uh, uh, you uh, can be a part of what's uh, going on here in these next several days. Let me encourage you. Would you come every service that God wants you to come? That's not a trick, <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, if you'll pray about it, God'll lead you. And uh, come every service that God wants you to come, and it will be right. Well, we got to get into the message because I I got to get this one uh, this service done because we got another service, and I don't want to cut into the time of the uh, speaker in the second service, <laughs> since that's me. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, that's one way to get a guy to be on time is schedule him after himself. But uh, uh, at any rate, uh, this last uh, year after I was with you for the Zoom meeting, uh. uh God stirred me with this particular passage that we're going to look at this morning. Uh, This uh, year, the Lord burdened me to... uh start in Genesis again you know uh, for years I would read through the Bible in a year and then one year I got stirred uh, to read the the Bible through two times in a year and over the years God has led in different ways Uh, sometimes I've just been in one section of the scripture for the entire year and uh, that kind of thing but this year the Lord burdened me to to just read through again from Genesis and just keep going uh, through the year so early in January I obviously came to Genesis 35 this is a passage that uh, I've read many times I'm sure you have as well but uh, you know it stirred me aren't you grateful when god stirs you that's the god of heaven speaking to you <laughs> and it shows that he loves you cuz he's speaking directly to you and it was a it was a stirring time for me and may the lord uh, speak to all of our hearts this morning genesis 35 and i'm going to begin to read in verse 1 <laughs> little background music here <laughs> By the way, thank you for the music this morning. My heart was stirred. A lot of uh, tremendous words there. Genesis 35 verse 1. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. And make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And the story continues, but we'll stop our reading right there. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, build an altar unto the God who appeared to you when. God here is giving Jacob a chance for a fresh encounter. And so the title of the message this morning is Fresh Encounter with God. Lord, I pray that you would speak the truth of your word to our hearts. And as you spoke to Jacob, would you speak to each one of us? And Lord, I pray that we would respond. And Lord, that you would bring us into a fresh encounter with you. Lord, I plead the victory of Jesus through the shed blood that we sang about this morning. Lord, protect us from Satan's attack this morning. Lord Jesus, would you manifest the victory that you won when you said it is finished. So breathe on us now, and may you be honored. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This last summer, my son John uh, went to two different camps. And uh, over the years, he's enjoyed uh, going to camp. It's always uh, been something special for him as an only kid and uh, uh, being on the road like uh, we are uh, throughout the year. Sometimes we're in churches that don't have a lot of kids. Sometimes we are in churches that do, but a lot of times there's not. And so he really enjoyed uh, the camp weeks. And so in June, he went to a camp last summer and God stirred him. And then uh, a few weeks later, he went to another camp uh, when uh, uh, so he uh, went to one of them was with our church youth group. One was with the church youth group from Iowa that he's gotten to know those kids from. Well, in the second camp, I'm sure the first one helped pave the way for the second uh, story here. He told me later, and this is, I did not know this until later. He said, you know, I came into that second week of camp. So he's 19, He's getting ready to go to college. This is last summer. And uh, he said to the Lord, Lord, I need you to speak to me. This has got to be more than just going through the motions of camp. Something along those lines, heart cry. Well, the camp week began. They had a special guest preacher, a dear friend of mine, Dave Young, was preaching. And one night, in an audience of about 500 kids... He read a text from Proverbs that deals with the matter of purity, and uh, that night he preached on purity. And we live in a day where that's a needed message. But it was more than talking about holiness and purity, there was a holy hush that came on the audience. You cannot create this, you cannot manufacture this. Man cannot just, you know, snap his fingers and make this happen. But it was one of those nights where the presence of God uh, was felt in the audience. There was a holy hush that came over 500 kids. And uh, it was one of those times when the powers of darkness have been banished and the power of the Holy Spirit is displayed. It's one of those times when God has rent through the heavens. He's torn through the powers of the air and He's come down. And everyone in that audience that night was aware of the holy presence of God. And when you see you see sin for what it is and there was conviction of sin that night and there was a coming clean with God and there was a reviving my son called me on Friday of that week a day or two later he said dad I'm not sure but he said I think I'm in a revival (laughs) And he began, I had no idea what was happening. I had been praying, but I had no idea what was happening. And he began to describe what was happening. And I thought to myself, yes, you're in one. In fact, the young people from Ann Arbor Baptist Church told the youth leader, Andrew Sigma, was with them. And, and they said to him, God was in the room. Now, our teenagers don't normally talk that way. Which lets me know God was in the room, and you know they had a fresh encounter with God. When that happens, everything changes. All of a sudden, everything's recalibrated. All of a sudden, you see right. All of a sudden, you are wrong priorities. You think, "What am I doing?" And you get right priorities, and uh, and God becomes real. That's what happened. Now, friends, maybe this morning you are in need of a fresh encounter with God (laughs) you know God knows that now this is an Old Testament passage, it's Old Testament narrative, this actually happened. And the Old Testament narratives give us in picture form uh, what is taught to us in a teaching or didactic way in the New Testament. And so this is one of those uh, kinds of uh, uh, portions of scripture that does that for us. This is the story of Jacob. Remember there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They, they call them the patriarchs and so on. Well we get to Jacob, uh, uh, his part of the story, and you know, he wasn't really quite on the level of Abraham and Isaac. Uh, he was a little bit of a rascal and uh, so on and of course he had a twin brother named Esau and uh, God had given uh, uh, some uh, indication to his mother Rebecca of how things uh, were going to play out but she tried to uh, manipulate all that uh, with uh, uh, the the blessing of course uh Jacob, if you know his story, he stole the birthright of Esau, and then he stole the blessing uh, by deception. And so now his brother wants to kill him, so he's on the run. And this is many chapters uh, before where we're looking uh, at this point. And so he's on the run, and he, he, he's leaving. He's going back to the relatives of his mother to, uh, to find a wife. And, and uh, that's where he has that dream. And he sees a staircase. And the angels of God ascending and descending and, and he wakes in the morning and he, he calls the place the house of God. Bethel, Bethel, El is God, uh, Beth is house, so house of God. And that's where he first, he first encountered God, first met with God. A uh, first indication in the text of scripture that he believed in God and uh, there made a deal with God. He still is conniving way, but you know, if you'll, if you'll bless me, then I'll do this and uh, so forth and so on. But still he's meeting with God. Then he goes and, uh, he meets Rachel and, uh, We have 20 years of quite a story of a a growing family, (laughs) and uh, a lot of things happen over there with uh, Laban, and then uh, uh, finally it's time to leave, and uh, that didn't go too well, Uh, but he leaves and he has his family, he's got herds and flocks, and then he's coming back uh, to the land uh, that he had been born in, and Esau's coming out to meet him, 400 soldiers, so now he's petrified, and this is where the angel of God wrestles with Jacob. Not so much Jacob wrestling with the angel, but the angel wrestling with Jacob to break him, to bring him to surrender, and that was quite a thing. And, and then he meets with Esau, and things were okay, and he gets back in the land. He goes to a city called Shechem, and uh, they, uh, he's got 12 sons. He's got a daughter named Dinah. Uh, she is defiled by uh, one of the princes in that city of uh, Shechem, uh, and so the uh, two brothers now that were closest to her were ticked off, understandably so they wanted justice. I understand that, and instead of just uh, going after the one guy, they killed every <laughs> every man in that city. So now Jacob is really disturbed. he says, "You've made us odious in the land, and uh, things are not going well. Never been there." <laughs> Jacob is off course. Things are not going well. This is not how it's supposed to be. And that's when we come to Genesis 35 and verse 1. And God said. And God tells him to arise and go to Bethel. Build an altar to the God who appeared to you. You see, when you get off course... You need a fresh encounter with God. Friend, are you in need of a fresh encounter with God? Now, what's involved? Notice here, as we just look at this uh, narrative passage, three phases in this encounter with God. It starts with the obvious call to revival. That's what I keep reading here in verse 1. God said, God said. You see, anything that's going to be of value starts with God, always, always. In God's economy, there has to be divine initiation. And God initiates to stir us to a faith response. So in God's economy of grace, uh, faith is the cash in that economy. God stirs, faith responds, then God works. So you have God's stirring work and his bringing it to pass work. And in between the stirring and the bringing it to pass is a faith response. That's always God's way. That is his economy where the cash is faith. And so it starts with God initiating and this call to revival. And he says to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. If you look on the map, it looks like Bethel is down. But up was because it was higher geographically, and that's why they word it that way here. But go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God. Now notice this, unto God that appeared unto thee when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother." what is that picture see the Old Testament narratives picture New Testament truth God is saying look go back to that place where I first appeared to you go back to that place where I first became real to you when is that for you friend do you have that and if you do God is stirring and saying Go back to that place where I first made myself known to you, where I became real to you, where I appeared to you. Now, for people who get saved as an adult, often that would be that's what they would think back to, when they got saved uh, as an adult. But for those who get saved as a child, there often is not as much remarkable memory when you get saved at five. <laughs> you know, I got saved at six. I got saved from drugs, addictions, everything else. I got saved out of it. And I got saved from it. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Uh, In other words, (laughs) God saved me early uh, kind of thing. But the truth is, I don't remember much about what happened at six years old. I I remember a few things, yes. I did put my faith in the Lord, yes. I remember all of the details that don't matter (laughs) about that occasion. Uh, But I do remember that uh, uh, God had stirred me and I I trusted in the Lord and so forth. But for me there's not a lot to to remember. Now, when somebody gets saved at 26, and uh, there's this awakening uh, in their life, and so forth, when they read something like this, that's what they're going to think of. But for me, it's going back to the time when God first appeared to me in revival. And see, that's going to differ based on your background. But regardless, it's when God first met with you, where God became real to you, whether it was when you got saved, or whether it was You got saved as a child, and then later, as you're older and maturing, God uh, meets with you, and God becomes real to you. That's what it was for me. You see, I was a preacher's kid, and so uh, I've been in church thousands of times. (laughs) Thousands and thousands (laughs) of times. Uh, I've been in evangelism, obviously, for 31 years now. So I'm in a church service almost every day of the week. (laughs) You're talking thousands of services over the years. And, uh, you know, I uh, surrendered a call to preach at 15, preached my first sermon at 16. It's a long time ago now. Then studied for ministry, was an assistant to my dad for five years, then hit the road in evangelism in 1992. Well, in the providence of God, at that time in my life, I was reading... I was studying Galatians and Ephesians, an inductive study, and the word grace was coming off the page, and I began to understand that grace is not just for salvation. It's for sanctification. It's for service. We need the spirit enabling of God, that supernatural enablement through the Holy Spirit to do God's will. And so uh, God began to stir me with that. I was reading the two-volume biography of Hudson Taylor, uh, where God opened his eyes to the need to actually access Christ in him for that need of the Spirit of God making Christ real to him and living through him and so God was using all of this to awaken me to the futility of the flesh you see I was a PK I went to church I you know there were certain things we didn't do certain things we did do but all of it was or I should say much of it was just sheer ritual You know, this is what you do, this is what you don't do, and so forth and so on. And so, it still wasn't God very real. And I mean, God would stir, and there were some little stirrings. But as far as just being caught up with God, that was still foreign. But at 30 years of age, I remember when God appeared to me. I'm not talking about a weird physical appearance. I'm just talking where God became real to me. I just entered evangelism. All this truth was coming to bear. I was in a little tiny building. It was a town of 400 people. They had a little tiny uh, church building. They just suffered a church split because they had put in new carpet and half the people didn't like the color. (laughs) I will say it was a pretty hot bubblegum pink, but it's <laughs> still nothing that you split a church over, but uh, they had had a split. And so we're there for this meeting and my wife was practicing the piano. It was daytime. I was sitting over here where these folks are sitting and I was just, uh, I was reading and, and meditating on what God had been teaching me the last number of months. And it all kind of came together. The futility of the flesh, the necessity of the spirit. You've been hearing about the Holy Spirit these last couple of weeks. understand here in the services and the futility of a flesh dependence the necessity of a God dependence the futility of a flesh-filled life the necessity of a spirit-filled life and for the first time I began to realize you know most of what you do John is just you it's the flesh that profits nothing I wouldn't say everything was because there's a few times when you accidentally happen into faith through desperation (laughs) but Much of my experience that wasn't the case. It was just, you know, going through the motions. And God awakened me. No, no, no. There's a whole lot more than motions. There's life. There's a relationship with me. There's my spirit leading you and empowering you. And for the first time, that became real. And all this striving to serve God and the striving to live this Christian life thing, and this striving to be holy, all of that began to, uh, began to realize, wait a second, I need the Holy Spirit. That's how you do this. And I had much to learn, but it was a great awakening. And the whole concept of Jesus becoming real, that's the first time. Now, I'd been saved for years. But this is when Jesus became real to me. I don't know how else to say that. And for the next three weeks, I couldn't talk about Jesus without crying. I remember, I had uh, only been in evangelism about six months, and I went back to my home church. It was there in Chicago uh, at the time, and... And the guy that was in charge of the couples class that I used to teach, he said, oh, why don't you teach this Sunday? And, and so I, I, tried to, I tried to explain what God was doing for me, and none of it was formulated or well thought out. And I blubbered my way through 45 minutes of who knows what it sounded like. <laughs> but Jesus was real. And see, this is, what, this is what the text is saying to Jacob. Look, go back to that place where I first appeared to you. Now, this actually can happen many times in our journey. There was another time in 1999. It was actually deeper. It was actually richer. It was actually it lasted a whole lot longer from March to, to May 1999. Everything I preach today I basically came out of that meeting with God in 1999. So that was another time. And so when I read a passage like this, I'm thinking, okay, I remember those times when Jesus was so real. And just talking about Jesus and running to prayer meetings. I mean, I remember, you know, uh, just trying to find a kindred heart so we could fall on our face and pray. (laughs) I remember those times, just beautiful times, wonderful times. Fervency, devotion. And so here's God saying to Jacob, go back. And It's interesting. He didn't say go back to the time where just a couple years ago when I wrestled with you. He said go back to that time when I first appeared. There's something about that first impression when God becomes real to you and he says here make there an altar that picture is fresh surrender the altar the whole burnt offering of the Old Testament pictures Romans 12 1 and 2 when we present everything unto God holy and acceptable unto God he says to Jacob make there an altar in other words this is time for a fresh surrender uh, Jacob and dwell there stay in my presence You see, all of this is a call to revival. It's divine initiation, God said. Now look, there are times when you and I know that God is speaking to us. And you can probably think, maybe even in the last few weeks, when there's stirrings. And friends, when God stirs, it's not insignificant, it's significant. Significant. Because it's the God of heaven reaching down to you. Saying, I want you to come along. There's more. I want you to know more. And so when there's that heart stirring to meet with God again. Don't brush it aside. It's important. I fear we can get dull. And just go through motions. And, and uh, the vibrancy and the life and the, the freshness is gone. And that's when we need that fresh encounter. And Perhaps God will stir us in these days, to this kind of fresh encounter. So there's the call to revival. But then, the second phase of this is what we could rightly call a pursuit of God. This is Jacob's faith response. Now it comes in two, two aspects, which are fascinating to me. It starts with him just preparing, I guess we could say, for this meeting with God. Preparing for revival, we might say. Now remember, what did God tell him in verse 1? God said, go to Bethel, dwell there, make an altar to me, the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Jacob. When you first, you and I became good acquaintances. (laughs) So what does Jacob do in verse 2? Then Jacob said unto his household, now remember he's got quite a large family. (laughs) He's got servants as well quite a group, Jacob said unto his whole household and to all that were with him, put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. Interesting. Those were not in the instructions. But Jacob knew if I'm going to meet with God, this God who appeared to me, this God who's real then there's some stuff in the way. And, and apparently Jacob knew that. I mean, why is he telling his household to put away the strange gods if he didn't know that they had idols? And so, fascinating to me, so the first thing he does is recognize we got stuff in the way. If we're going to meet with God, we got to get, we got to get the clutter out of the way. And so he starts with, put away the foreign gods. In other words, to put it in the modern context, get rid of everything that's blocking the flow of God in your life. Now look, if you're born again, and maybe you're not, if you're not, you need to be born again today, you can be. But I'm going to tell you, if you are born again, then Christ lives in you, and the Holy Spirit of the living God takes that life of Jesus on the throne and streams it right into you. We talk about live streaming. God had this figured out long before man did. And live streaming is much more powerful than live streaming. It's the Spirit of God streaming the very life of the enthroned Christ right into you. Look, in this audience this morning, there is a live stream from heaven in every born-again person that's sitting here. And if God is not very manifest in our lives, it's because we block the flow. He's there. Christ is living in us, Galatians 2.20 tells us. But the end of the verse says it's by faith. In other words, unbelief blocks the flow. He's there. But when his life is not manifested, uh, it's because of unbelief. And it's because there's something there that's blocking the flow. And we miss out on the benefit of the life stream of Jesus. And so Jacob says to his household, get rid of the strange gods. What strange gods do you have in your life this morning? What elements are blocking the flow of the divine life in you? God says, put it away. Jacob said to his household, deal with this. Get rid of it. You see, for us today, perhaps it's a pampered grudge. That we just keep pampering and keep savoring. And it becomes this strange God that's in the way of our our relationship with Jesus. Maybe it is some indulgence of the flesh, some secret indulgence that you know grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Maybe it's some selfish, ambitious pride thing where your motives are all about you. And what we're talking about, some ambition may not be intrinsically wrong, except that your motive is all about you. And so, the lesson of what's pictured here is get rid of what's blocking the flow. How do we do that? Well, the New Testament didactic truth says walk in the light. It's 1 John 1. When God shines his light and shows you, wait, that's got to go. That's got to go. That habit's got to go. That attitude's got to go. That pride's got to go. That self-centeredness has got to go. You know... A lot of times when there's self-issues we don't know it <laughs> that's why there's self-issues i remember when i was a freshman in college my son's a freshman he's finishing up his freshman year i remember at the end of my freshman year i had a roommate he was a senior he was a good guy he was in fact he was stage manager so he had a big position on the campus and he was a godly guy and uh he said john he said it's end of school years it's been good good to have you in the room and he said uh he said i've uh, i've I've recommended that uh, uh, you next year be in charge of a room. They call that an assistant prayer captain. And he said, he said, I've recommended that. He said, but there's a couple things you need to work on. He said, number one, you're selfish. And number two, you're proud. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, that was a confrontation. I you know, man, this is this nice senior roommate. And man, he just blew me away. And at first I was a little miffed. But then I got to thinking about it. He's exactly right. He said, All you do is talk about you. You never ask how anybody else is doing. Whoa. And he said, You're proud and you're arrogant. And I remember thinking, You know what? He's right. Now, friends, that's light. God used this dear friend, three years older than I, to show light, to show the dirt. The arrogance, the self that I couldn't see apart from that intense light. (laughs) And friends, when God does that, be grateful so that you can walk in the light. It's 1 John 1, 7 and 9. How do you walk in the light? It's if we confess our sins. In other words, if you get honest, if you agree, wait a second, God, you're right. That's dirt. There is pride. There's self all over this thing. And the moment you agree, the moment you confess, the moment you side with God, the moment you stop making... See, at first I was ticked at that room out there. Who does he think he is? (laughs) It's just manifesting the pride that he just pointed out. But the more I thought about it, God thankfully was melting my heart saying, Buddy, you are proud. And you are selfish, and so on. And as soon as you own it, then the blood of Jesus comes rushing in. You see, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us, purify us, purge us from all unrighteousness. And so the way you put away the strange gods is whatever God shows you is dirt. Whatever God shows you is in the way. Whatever is blocking the stream of His life flow from the throne, whatever that is, get honest about it, and don't make excuses, and don't blame somebody else. Just get honest. And then the blood of Jesus will clean you all up every time. What a blessed truth. So he said, "Put away the strange gods, and then he says, "And be clean." You see, this is a fascinating word that's translated here, "Be clean," has two potential ways of translation. One is purify yourself. the yeah, other is present yourselves. Four, purification. We can't purify ourselves. That's why it says here, be clean. In other words, allow yourself to get cleaned up. You get honest, and then God will take care of the rest. He comes in then and cleanses you. I remember Dave, Pastor O'Gorman, and I were up in Belfast. Oh, I think it was 2001. And up at the uh, uh, Faith Mission bookstore up there. And uh, so we're looking at all the books, and I remember the Spirit of God drew me to a book. The title of it was called The Spirit of Revival. It was the biography of John George Govan, the founder of the Faith Mission of Edinburgh. And in that book, God, uh, he gives his own story, how God taught him the concept of a clean heart. And I'm going to tell you, that was life-changing for me, because I had confession down, because I had a lot of things to confess. (laughs) But to walk away saying I was clean, I didn't know about that. I'd confess and walk away, feel like a dirty, rotten, whatever. But God says, look, the blood of Jesus cleans you up, so take it! <laughs> See, be clean! Take the clean heart! Then it says, and change your garments. So there's confession, there's cleansing, now there's clothing. Change your garments, what's that? Well, that's the Old Testament picture of... But well, the New Testament says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when the blood of Jesus cleanses you, it's so that the Spirit of Jesus fills you. It's so that the Spirit of Jesus clothes you. You see, uh, Romans 13, 14, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the reality is, it's not just us trying to imitate Jesus. We can't imitate Jesus. It's recognizing that he lives in us so that by faith we're clothed with him and the Spirit imparts to us the very life of Jesus Christ so that that life of Jesus in you animates your personality and friends when that's real it's glorious when your personality is animated by the divine life of Jesus that's when Christianity is very vibrantly real I was just reading a few days ago about some of the work of the spirit in some of the Islamic countries where it's very dangerous to be a Christian and this one lady, uh, was, uh, she was pursuing God. God had stirred her, and she was pursuing God, in this case, in the matter of salvation. And uh, uh, she heard about these Bible people, they were called, <laughs> believers. And uh, she said to one of these Bible people, how will I know who the Bible people are? And she said, you will see Jesus in their face. You will see love in their face. <laughs> you will see the difference Wow friends how often is Jesus manifested he's in every child of God but we if we block the flow we block the glow I wasn't trying to be a poet there but at any rate (laughs) it fit (laughs) now friends when that Jesus look is there when there is love in the eyes see That's putting on Jesus. That's that revived life where Jesus is animating a human personality where a divine somebody is animating a human somebody. And so Jacob says to his household here, put away the foreign gods, be clean, change your garments. And then after that preparation, they go further and there's a presentation. Look, he says in verse 3, and let us arise and go up to Bethel And I will make there this altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way in which I went. And so what happened? Verse 4. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods. Wow, they all listened. I wonder if we will this morning. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand. And all their earrings. Now earrings are not always presented in the Bible negatively. Apparently these were involved in somehow with the uh, idolatry that was going on. And uh, Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were around them. See God's already working here. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz which is in the land of Canaan. That is to Bethel. He and all the people that were with him. Now here it is in verse 7. And he built there an altar. You see, God said, arise, go back to Bethel and build an altar to me, to God who appeared to you back that first time. Okay, so he does it. But how does he do it? He tells his family, get rid of the aisles, get cleaned up, Put, uh, change your garments. Okay, and now he gets there and they obeyed it all and he built there this altar there's this fresh presentation this fresh surrender and notice and he called the place el bethel now before he called the place bethel bethel house of god now it's el bethel god the house of god what happened his focus switched to the person of god you know in my own journey i can tell you each phase of the journey 92, 93, that was the awakening to grace. Uh, I used to preach that message called Mega Grace. Uh, And uh, that was a wonderful truth, awakening to the power of God. And uh, then in 1999, God uh, taught all sorts of things. 2001 was the clean heart. 2005, uh, greater works, uh, the outpouring of the Spirit, and so on and so on. But in the last eight years of my journey, God has really been dealing with me about focusing on the person. And this is what happened to Jacob here. He says, God, the house of God, the focus is now on the person, not all the blessings that can come from that person. You see, it's now pursuing God, not just stuff. I just was two weeks ago in Runnels, Iowa. I preached there the first time for just a Sunday morning in 1999. I came back. Or maybe that was 2001. I can't remember. Anyway, I came back in 2003 for the first week-long meeting at that church, having no idea that uh, they were suffering at that moment. I didn't know them well. I'd only been there on a Sunday morning, and they had had some uh, issues come up in the church where they lost half the church. They lost half the youth group. Uh, uh, the testimony in the community was kind of messed up, and uh, things were a mess. And they all felt like quitting. And you know, how can we honorably leave? <laughs> kind of a thing and the uh pastor's son he was the youth pastor and he was sort of discouraged because they lost so many kids and he had just written a curriculum and somebody was going to publish it on how you do a youth group and then his youth group was gone <laughs> and uh so he you know all the publication everything fell through uh because now he didn't he couldn't he, you know it, it wasn't going to work and they are discouraged and he said he went through his library and he took half of his books and just threw them away he said this you know they're just junk <laughs> you, know, says, you know you're discouraged But there was one book that caught his eyes called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozier. And he didn't throw that one away. He read it. And God spoke to him. And I'm going to tell you, when God spoke to him, it lit a fire. He passed it along to his dad. The fire spread. To a few others, the fire spread. And the truth of the matter is, they started a group that they called the Fellowship of the Burning Heart. Now, not the Fellowship of Heartburn, (laughs) The Fellowship of the Burning Heart. And I just looked at the clock and we gotta, we got to burn real quick here. Okay, so <laughs> that's what was going on when I came into that meeting. And I'm going to tell you, he told me on Saturday night, he said, John, there's 15 people in our congregation, about 15. He said they got a burning heart. He didn't tell me what that meant. He didn't tell me any of the problems. He didn't tell me what was going on. He just said there's 15 people with a burning heart. By Sunday night, I could see their faces. I could see the glow. I could see the intense. They, uh, they would come to me afterwards and ask all sorts of questions and uh, so on. On the third night... God led and we had an after meeting. And God doesn't always move in an after meeting. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he moves in a regular meeting. He can move in a prayer meeting. He can move in a lot of different ways. But we had an after meeting. And I'm going to tell you, God came to that meeting. And it went for an hour and a half. It seemed like 10 minutes. And it happened the next night. And then the next night. And that church experienced a revival. You see, when they started pursuing God, guess what? When you seek God, he will be found of you. And that brings you to phase three and we're done. There was the encounter with God. They built the altar And then what happened? Verse 9, And God appeared. Now it wasn't immediate. But in due time, God appeared unto Jacob again. There was the fresh encounter. He met with God himself. And I'm going to tell you, when that happened, God renewed. uh, I won't take time to read the verses, but he renewed the transformation. He renewed the purpose. He renewed the promises that he'd given to Jacob years before. God renewed it all because of this fresh encounter with God. Now look, It's not enough to hear about a fresh encounter, you need to experience one. You can hear about a symphony, but it's not the same as experiencing a symphony. And friends, if you are in need of a fresh encounter with God, and I, God stirred me, because back in January, I knew I was in need. And there's times over the years when I know I've been in need. And the truth is, let's do what they did. Let's pursue God. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Thank you for your kind attention this morning. Let me just ask, who would say, preacher, God is speaking to me, and I am in need of a fresh encounter with God. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 many. Well, let's take some time to talk to God about what he's talking to us about. I just have the pianist play through a verse of a song.